Conversations with Amazing Me, Amazing You. Hi, everybody. I am so delighted to have Louise George as my gorgeous guest this morning. And Louise is a yoga teacher and owner of the Douglas Yoga Center and also a counselor with Counseling Connected. Louise, it's an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for inviting me. Do you mind just taking us back a little bit in your own story to how you came about to what you're practicing now? Wow. Where do I start? Do you know, I suppose I could start from being a little girl, really. I, I was always a very sociable little girl. Um, I really always liked to do lots of different hobbies. I think I drove my mum crazy because she said, look, I keep buying you the kit and the outfit and the gear, and then you change your mind and you want to try something else. And really, I think I was just curious and I wanted to experience lots of different things and meet lots of different kinds of people. Um, And that carried on into my teens and I started studying sociology and my sociology teacher was really inspiring to me because he traveled all around the world and had all these different jobs and he always seemed to have a story to tell us. And I remember thinking, and I was probably 17 or 18, I want to be like him. I just want to really experience lots of different things. And so, you know, I kind of think back to then and I had no idea what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, Mm -hmm. But I had a sense that I wanted to work with people and I wanted to possibly travel. I wanted to learn and grow and keep my sort of mind open, I suppose. Um, So I went off to university and I studied psychology and sociology and communication studies which was sort of documentary studies and linguistic studies. It was quite a broad subject. I ended up dropping psychology, even though I had a sense that that might be what I was interested in. But the psychology in the university that I went to, which was Liverpool, was very behavioral and scientific, and it just didn't land well with me. So I gave that up. And basically, long story short, um, at university, I began to struggle with an eating disorder, so I became anorexic and bulimic. And I think that sort of experience of struggling with my own mental health really made me have to do a lot of work on myself in order to get through that. There's a lot of exploration and self-development and therapy. And so I suppose that sort of maybe was the very first time that I realized that there was even a job in that field that maybe, you know, counseling wasn't something that I thought about. Psychology, I knew I was interested in, but the work of a counselor hadn't really been on my Mm -hmm. radar till that time. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't think that I would be strong enough to do that. And it took me another few years before I went and studied to become a counselor. The yoga came a lot, lot later. So yeah, as I say, I think I had a certain personality as a little girl and a teenager. I certainly was wanting to experience a lot of things. And then that experience of being anorexic and bulimic sort of created that real interest in mental health and awareness around that. So yeah, I mean, I I could talk all day. (laughs) 
And so now in your counseling, do you specialize in the eating disorders, anxiety, stress? Yeah, I do. I, I think, you know, I know that, say, for example, some counselors that work with addiction will have had addictions themselves. And, and in actual fact, the kind of eating disorder that I had was very addictive as well. But um, I think it's something that I really know inside out. The, the difficulty is, is that I have some of those same personality traits as, as the people that come for help. So I've got to be really conscious of that and know that whatever helped me to get through my issues, it might be something completely different that helps them. So everybody has their own way through. Um, yes. But I am very happy to be able to help people on that journey, mm. you know. Um, yeah. I also did get, when I recovered from my eating disorder, I did get an opportunity to go and travel for a year. And so mm. I traveled around Southeast Asia. But I suppose this is the next part of the story in so much that the boyfriend that I went traveling with for that year got ill whilst we were traveling. And he actually was diagnosed with a, an inoperable brain tumor whilst we were in Gosh. Australia. Yeah. So, I mean, I was 20 three or something like that he was 29 and we had to kind of rush back and he had oh the whole craniotomy and you know chemotherapy and all kinds of radiation and he actually passed away so I'd kind of come through my experience with my eating disorder and 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 more or less recovered I mean I was still on shaky ground and then that happened and I think I started to do my counseling certificate when he was sick and I think it just changed everything for me because when he died I had this support network of people that actually spoke about how they felt and you know they were real they were genuine and they were encouraging me to be open about my struggling and so I got the opportunity to deal with a big sort of you know net quite negative event in my life very differently and that was probably when I realized I need to surround myself by people like this. Yeah. And I need to be sure that I never go back to, you know, pretending I'm okay when I'm not okay or trying to keep things, brush things under the carpet. I sort of made a pact with myself that I wanted to live this sort of, you know, authentic I suppose, life and be, be honest and be real. So I suppose I'm, I feel very blessed in so much as, you know, you're a yoga teacher too. And I know the mm -hmm. people that come to yoga tend to be what I call seekers. You know, they're, they're open-minded and they're, mm -hmm. they're looking to learn and they're interested in spirituality and philosophy and movement and, you know, connecting to their bodies. And so that's a blessing. And then the people that I work with in counseling, they're so brave and they're so honest and so vulnerable. And to be allowed into share somebody's life, uh, you know, in that way, it's just a real, it's a real honor, I think. So I, I really love the work that I do. I do, you know, it's very meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Because I never knew that story. That's such a tragedy. Yeah, it was, it was really hard. It was, we worked together and I got made redundant and he said to me, because I said, I'm going to go traveling. I need to go traveling. I'd always wanted to. My illness had got in the way for long enough. And, and he just said, look, I'm not going to get the chance to do this again. So I'm going to give up my job and I'm going to come with you. 
and he he wouldn't have got the chance you know that would have happened anyway so he spent the last sort of nine ten months of his life traveling around southeast asia and we had a great time you know riding elephants and seeing the orangutans and traveling through you know Sulawesi and Sumatra and so yeah it was really really sad but I'm just so glad that he he did that you know he took that chance and came along so yeah but I, I think once I'd got through my eating disorder and I'd kind of dealt with that situation I thought well maybe I am strong enough to be a counsellor maybe I have had some experience that I can bring to the table because I was still very young I was only 24 yes. when I went off to do my advanced diploma my postgrad and so I was my first job I think I was 26 and I actually my first job was in the University of Liverpool which is where I'd been ill myself so that was kind of nice to go full circle but I do remember, I remember a guy that was coming to see me saying, and how, how old are you? Like, because, you know, I looked younger than I was probably. And, um, you know, but it was, it was great. I was generally, people were quite happy, I think, with the service, but they were a little bit unsure at the start. Who is this young little thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, very, I was very boyish. I'd very short. I used to have my hair quite short then. And, uh, you know, they're probably thinking some, I don't know. Yeah, probably not the the typical um, counsellor, which I am now in my 52-year-old body. I'm kind of <laughs> grown into myself. Yeah. Louise, that, that's fascinating because, you know, you are such a beautiful soul. Oh, thank you, Steph. Well, so are you. Takes one to know one. <laughs> I think from the first time I met you, though, I thought you had such beautiful compassion and I can see hearing your story, sure, you have, you have experience, you have life experiences. Yeah. But I, I do you know, I think I always had mm. empathy yeah. for people. I think, do you know, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and I was saying there used to be um, a guy on the, I, I'm from the north of England, a small town called Burnley, which yeah. um, they actually have a not, not too bad football club now. So yeah, people know yeah. where Burnley is. <laughs> But it's an old mill time. But anyway, there used to be um, on the bus station, we used to hang out on the bus station because there wasn't a lot of places to go around Burnley. And I was a big hanger around on bus stops and bus stations and that kind of thing because that's where you used to just talk, you know, just hang out and talk. Yeah, and I loved yeah. that socialising. But there would have been this homeless man that lived, well, he didn't live, but he was often on the bus station and people would make comments about him and, you know, but I just remember sometimes getting into conversations with him and trying to understand how did you, like, how did you end up here? And like, you know, I wanted to know about his life. So, and then when I worked in bars when I was older, you know, you get people propping up the bar and they tell you yeah. their life story. And I loved that. Um, and even when I was traveling, you, you know, we'd go into some kind of guest house in, I don't know, you know, wherever Thailand or somewhere. And yeah. there would be, I remember I'm thinking of a situation, a balcony and, you know, there, you'd meet people in their 60s traveling on their own, or you'd meet, you know, people with babies on their backs traveling around the world. And everybody had a story. It's like, and I would kind of, wherever we would be, in whatever, whichever guest house, you know, I'd have these visions of sitting on a balcony or sitting out at night with a drink and just somebody telling you their whole story. And then you'd move on to the next place and you get somebody else's story and it was just fascinating and so I suppose I've 
I've always, like you said before we started, you're interested in people's stories. And it's, yeah. in, in a sense, that's what a lot of what counseling is about. It's really seeing people and hearing people and giving them an opportunity to really feel seen and heard. And I think we all need that, don't we? Do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And, and so partly there's, yeah, I think I do have empathy and compassion, but I'm also just extremely nosy. <laughs> <laughs> curious. Curious. Let's call, let's call it curious. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. I love your new website. Your Counseling Connected. Yoga Connected. Well, the, the Counseling Connected is what I've, I've called my, um, the counseling side of my work. The new website is called Yoga Connected. And I called it that because, well, this was created in in lockdown. And it was created primarily because I was producing yoga videos for my students and, and I felt like they needed a home. I was kind of giving them out there for free. And then I decided that maybe I should do something with them. So I, I created a, a library, a Vimeo library, and stored them all there. And then I decided that I would you know, create a sort of membership site. So I wanted to keep it. It's only about the price of a, a standard class for a month's membership, but then you can access all these videos. And there's, I think there's 110 or so now. That's phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're, and they're not all mine, actually. And I should be probably knocking on your door soon <laughs> for a video from you. Yes, I'm available. But my idea was to put the videos that I'd created in and then... Because I called it, I, I called it Yoga Connected, and this was one of those things where I was standing in my kitchen one day, and I the name came to me because I always talk about connection because I think you know everything is connected. We're all connected, and we need to be connected to our bodies, not just to each other and to our minds and all of that. So it's a it's a word that comes up for me a lot, and it was used a lot in that lockdown. You know, we're all yes. feeling disconnected. But I thought, well, this gives me lots of scope for growth because I can put yoga videos in, but I can actually put videos in about anything that's yoga connected. So that was my get out clause. Well, if it's, you know, aromatherapy, can we somehow connect it to yoga? Because it's used in yoga a lot. So then it's yoga connected. And then the other thing was that I've, I've sort of connected with so many amazing people through yoga and who are like-minded as well and and not like-minded very different to me as well but I just thought you know I could maybe approach them and say would you like to be a part of the yoga connected library and I can sort of show your work and your personality and your style and let my students get to know you so you know it's sort of connecting my students to other teachers and hopefully they won't go away with that new teacher. <laughs> but but they, they will find that there are so many different ways of teaching yoga and so many. But also, you know, I was just thinking I'm a big talker, as you can probably tell, and I like I like to connect with people, but I could I'm the kind of person that I talk to the person next to me in the queue at the bank and end up with their life story and you know but it (laughs) but so often that person is doing something really interesting that I want to know more about and I might then say to them would you make me a video for the yoga connected library so that you can introduce this to more people so I have plans to kind of expand it but um time is the is the issue that sounds wonderful 
Yeah, and, and to bring in the counseling as well. So that because the philosophy of yoga, and I haven't done a lot around the philosophy, but it's so similar to a lot of what we yeah. use in therapy, you know, um, and it boils down to self-compassion and, and self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, those are things that I can bring into the Yoga Connected Library as well. So it doesn't even have to be a class, a physical class. It could be somebody yeah. talking on an issue. Yeah. So that when you join up, if you join up, you've access to, you know, you might think, do you know what? I don't really feel like doing yoga, but somebody might be talking about something interesting or I might do a, a guided meditation or something like that. So, yes, gorgeous. Yeah. Great that's, idea. That was the idea. The reality is taking more time. And Louise, when you said there about self-compassion, yeah, I would think that's one of the hardest things to practice, isn't it? It is. It seems to be the stumbling point for a lot of people, you know, especially yeah. again, coming back to the eating problems. You know, when I was anorexic, for example, it was very much about denying my unmet needs and or denying my needs in general, I suppose. But because I didn't really know how to meet them myself. And I, I don't think I kind of learned that. And rather than sit there with the, that neediness, I would starve myself to not feel, to numb myself. And so I can remember, honestly, I can remember looking at people eating food and thinking, <laughs> I don't even need food. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. I don't even need food, which was obviously so far from the truth. But that was my coping mechanism. Go into denial, dumb yourself down, numb yourself and don't let yourself feel it. Because I obviously had a fear that I probably was overwhelmingly needy underneath it. The other side of that then, when I was binging, would have been couldn't fill myself up. Nothing was filling me up, you know. So this kind of feeling like endlessly, endless needs. or And, and actually, neither of those are true. I mean, I have you know, equal amounts of needs as anybody else. But I just didn't know how to meet them. And I and I didn't have self-compassion. So rather than acknowledge them and work with that and be kind to myself, I felt like I had to get rid of it all. And I mean, we're a society that teaches that to a large extent. To ignore your body, not to listen to your body, just drive on regardless of how your body is calling out or screaming out to you. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, you know, I've heard many times people say things like, well, sure, look, she's only looking for attention. And I think it's not attention, is it? It's connection. They're looking for connection. They're looking for attachment. They're looking for, you know, when somebody is looking for attention, as you might say, they're actually needing something quite, quite deeply, you know. Totally. That's the compassionate stance would be, you know, to sort of, just acknowledge that we all have needs. That's that's normal. It's natural. And many of us have needs that went unmet in childhoods, not because of anybody's fault, you know, anybody's bad parenting or anything, but this goes through generations. It's all passed down. Yeah. And so I think to work with that, you have to be very compassionate. But, but actually yoga, yoga has given me, you see, I suppose I worked as a counsellor for about 12 years in England, um, full-time. And then when I came to Ireland, they didn't really have eating disorder services the same way as they would have had set up in England, because obviously it's just such a much bigger population. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I was a bit at a loss. And also my kids were tiny. They were, I don't know, five and two. So I just kind of thought, well, what else is there that I can do? And, and actually, I was really stressed at that time. I found that move very hard. And my mom died at this, well, about 12 weeks after I moved here. And I just, I felt like I'd made a mistake, to be quite honest with you, because I'd left my job and I'd left my friends and I found myself in this new place with no support, really. I mean, my in-laws are amazing, but, you know, my close group of support were not close by. You'd moved away from your roots. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you know, totally ungrounded, just, you know, yeah, uprooted completely. And, you know, yeah, I thought, look, I've been through stuff and I'm strong and I'm an adult and I've, I'm a mother and I'm, but yeah, it, it floored me, it did really. Um, so I started to think about things that would help me and I looked into holistic therapies such as Reiki, which, was incredible my first Reiki session showed me how ungrounded I was because it I just had this sense of peace that I don't think I'd ever experienced I think the only time I might have felt peace like that was when I was on some kind of tropical paradise with absolutely (laughs) no stress and warm sun and you know totally relaxed but this one session of Reiki took me to that place and I was like okay there's something in this and I I remember sitting on my, on my, in my garden and thinking, somehow I have to find a way to get me back to this place. Yeah. Myself, you know, I, so I went to studied Reiki. I did my Reiki one training and I started going to chanting workshops and started going to meditation classes and I started doing yoga. But at that time I was that person and Steph, you'll know this. Well, maybe your students are different, but but I was the person that w- could not lie down at the end of the class. I was the, I actually would leave yes. the class. That's how bad I was. That's how stressed yeah. I was right then. Um, I, I remember waving to the teacher a couple of times, going, "Thank you, thanks very much. I've got to go." You know, tapping my watch, <laughs> and I was out of there. I didn't want to lie down. I didn't. I I couldn't actually. Yeah, I couldn't. So it took me a while. And then when I started to stay for the relaxation, there would be, you know, just silent tears rolling into my ears. And that was when I was getting a release. So I kind of realized I need to stick. I need to stick with Mm. this. And so I did. And then eventually I I thought I'm going to do the yoga teacher training just for me. I had no intention of teaching whatsoever, but I wanted to just do it because I wanted to understand, you know, that curious mind. I was similar, yeah, just to do it for myself. I think a lot of people are, aren't they, Steph? They, mm. you know, I speak to a lot of teachers and they say, well, I never, I never intended to teach. I just wanted yeah. to learn. Yes. Um, but I think there's something about when you do learn, it blows your mind so much that you think, I've got to pass this on. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. And I, and I just kind of gradually added classes. And there was a point where a few years into teaching, when I started to really notice the impact it was having on students and getting that feedback from people when they say, oh my God, I went home and I had this amazing sleep. Or somebody said to me one time, you know, when I leave yoga, I just make better decisions. 
because oh. I because I'm making them I feel centered so yes if something happens and I have to make a decision they're making that decision from deep within themselves rather than from in their thinking brain you know yeah yeah and I was like the yoga is therapy it's yeah kind of was like this massive dawning on me that I was doing therapy again but just from a different like rather than dealing with the thinking and the emotions, like the top down, as they call it now, I was dealing bottom up, you know, from yes. the body. And, and we know now, don't we? You can change your thinking and it will change the way you feel in your body. Yeah. But you can also change the way you feel in your body and it will change your thinking. So I kind of went, OK, I'm doing therapy again, just different. When I started the yoga, I actually egotistically started it thinking, I'll do it for myself and I'd love to be able to do the splits in a year. Okay, yeah. And it was just kind of, you know, oh, you know, because my hips would have been so tight and it really was just, you know, oh yeah, I'll just be able to do these fancy poses. And that was the first time that I really listened to the whole practice of breath. Okay. And I was blown away by that. And that changed my life. I thought, what? And I'd gone to yoga classes for years and done the breath alongside the teacher or whatever, but had never really listened to it or practiced it consciously. Yeah, and understood it. When you start to understand as well, because um, I'm fascinated with the vagus nerve and how yoga stimulates the bit. And the vagus nerve is getting, I mean, everybody seems to be talking about it now. And, and when you think back thousands of years ago, the yogis, they didn't have science. They just knew you do this and it works. It has that effect, you know. Yes. Uh, and now we can prove why it has that effect. But, you know, the, the breathing side of things, when I actually started coming to do, I suppose what gave me the push to do the yoga and the meditation and the, because I also started to see a breathing practitioner around that same time. And he was a buteco breathing practitioner, actually, not a yoga breathing as such, but buteco breathing. Now I see people talking a lot about it, which is really good for dealing with asthma. But I actually had hyperventilation syndrome, which was, and it was, I'd say that it was probably sort of stuck grief, to be honest with you, from, because when my mum died, I mean, my mum was like, the most important person in my life. She was the person that I had the strongest connection with. And we yeah. talked about everything and she was interested in, you know, obviously my life, but also my friends' lives. She knew all my friends, you know, she she was the one who who'd seen me, I suppose, and listened to me. So when she passed away and I was here and I was disconnected from all of my my friends yeah. and my job and my purpose, I suppose, that got lodged in my body big time and I've found myself constantly trying to like grasp a breath you know when you ever try and get a deeper breath you know you get that it's like a sensation almost when you your breath kind of rolls over and and I just couldn't get it and I was trying and I was yawning and I was sighing and I was gulping air and I would be dizzy I remember my husband would come home from work and say how was your day and I'd say yeah fine but I feel like I can't breathe all the time. And it went on for such a long time. But it was actually, my nervous system was dysregulated and my breathing was dysregulated. So I guess that's what actually brought me to yoga. But then what, I mean, I learned so much more. Um, And still, 
if I get stre- really stressed, I'll start to take these big sighs, big breaths. And, and I see it in my students. You know, you probably see this sometimes if you do a breathing exercise with somebody and you reduce the breathing too much. When they finish, they're almost mm. like, <gasps> yeah, I couldn't, you know, they weren't getting enough air. And, and it tells you so much about where somebody's nervous system is at. Um, yeah. It's just fascinating, endlessly fascinating and what I think is really interesting is how many therapists now are going off and doing these trainings you know they're learning about the breath and they're learning about lots and lots and lots of research shows that yoga works really really well for trauma and Louise when you say the vagus nerve there would you explain that a little bit more because it's something I keep meaning to look up and educate myself more about it was like mind-blowing to me all right so we have a we have it's the 10th cranial nerve so it's the biggest nerve and it sort of comes from down from the brainstem but it runs down the front of your face and down your throat and into your chest and then from there it sort of spreads out it's called the wandering nerve I think vagus is from vagrant you know it's wandering anyway and the nerves go into all of your organs so you're you know, your stomach, your heart, your, your digestive system, all of that is affected by the vagus nerve. And essentially, when the vagus nerve is stimulated, it gives us a sense of relaxation. It, it's very calming. Okay. So how do we stimulate the vagus nerve? Some things are a little bit more like um, talking with people and connecting with people would work on that nerve because this nerve is gathering information from all around us so this nerve is all about whether or not we feel safe but when we the ways that we can actually physically stimulate the nerve are through things like humming chanting singing crying talking I have a friend and when she's anxious she touches her face she touches her lips with her fingertips I used to bite, I still do sometimes, actually bite my nails sometimes if I'm really anxious. So actually, it's like that hand to mouth, but the, I'm stimulating all the nerves around my mouth, tongue, swallowing. So eating. It's fascinating, yeah. Eating, swallowing, drinking, chewing. So if you think about like going back to the eating disorders, yes, when people binge eat, and eat and swallow and chew and eat and swallow and chew and eat and swallow, they are actually stimulating the vagus nerve. So it actually might physiologically make them feel more relaxed. Soothing them in some way. I mean, think about the dummy for the baby, do you know? It's a soother. Yes. It's yes. a soother. So we're actually, you know, it, we know that. We, we know that give a baby something to suck and for some reason it calms them down. So it's stimulating the vagus nerve. The nail biting, thumb sucking. I was a huge thumb sucker when I was younger. Yeah, very soothing. Yeah. So then, and also obviously, it's like that suckling baby. You know, getting the food, and uh, there's all, all other connections, but it is actually stimulating that nerve. And then, if you think about, say, yoga, and how much um, chanting, you know, historically there's been in yoga, the idea of sitting in a group and chanting and singing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know. People, when they, the, it, I mean, I found this really interesting. The, the chant OM is a vibration that you're creating in your throat and around your mouth. It's all about the vibration, and that vibration stimulates that nerve. Okay. 
And then deep belly breathing. So in yoga, we will often encourage people to breathe into their belly. The diaphragm moving up and down as we breathe stimulates that nerve. Mm, So we know that deep breathing is relaxing. And that's why, because it's stimulating that nerve. And that nerve, as I said, runs into all of the organs. So like another side effect I'll get when I'm really stressed and my breathing shifts back into that shallow pattern because my hyperventilation was a very shallow, very high up in my chest pattern. Um, So I'm not using my diaphragm the same. And it's like a vicious circle. But I would find then that I'd get like palpitations and things. My digestive system was a bit shot at times, you know, so irritable bowel, things like that Mm -hmm. people struggle with. Um, So, you know, it's, it's like, so again, like the, the stress is, it will relate to your heart rate, your heart rhythm, relate to your ability to digest, your breathing is affected. So it's kind of, it's just fascinating, really. But there's a, there's a whole, if you're interested from the therapy point of view, mm-hmm. go and look up Stephen Porges. So Stephen Porges is P-O-R-G-E-S. And Stephen Porges um, has created a, a theory uh, called polyvagal theory. Ah, uh, yes. This is his area of, of expertise. Yeah, fascinating. And Louise, what would you say to somebody who has difficulty catching their breath? You know, who has, say, for all their lives felt, oh, I'm always just breathing just to my chest, you know, just those short, shallow breaths. Yeah, well, I mean, this is why like, the physical practice of yoga, for, for starters, will often tend to, like, I mean, I'll often say to my students, you know, check in with your breath at the beginning of a mm-hmm. class and see how it feels. And, and there's no judgment because yeah, most of yeah. us are chest breathers, to be fair, yes. most of the time because we're rushing around. So, but then after you've done a class and if you think about, you know, all the side stretches and the, mm-hmm. you know, back bends and you're really opening up through the rib cage and you're, you're starting to kind of stretch the diaphragm and wake the diaphragm up. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you'll find the breath has deepened naturally. But, yes. but my biggest tip for helping somebody to shift from chest breathing into belly breathing is to lie with your legs up the wall. Mm. It's really, really, really powerful. It's very hard to stay stressed if you're lying in that position. And I know you can't spend your day like that, but if you were to come home from work or you know, take time out in the day, and yes. swing your legs up the wall. Maybe put yeah. a cushion or two underneath your lower back, your sacrum, you know, that flat bone, the base yeah. of your spine, and support yourself there. And that will, because that has, again, the physio- physiological effect of lowering your heart rate yes. and lowering your blood pressure. So it tips you into a more relaxed yeah. state. But also, it's just something about, it's also called, sometimes called, I don't know if you've heard it called, this deep lake pose. So the belly becomes like a deep lake. Yeah. And so it's nice to lie like that with your hands on your belly and just, I think even, you know, and you know yourself, just, just catching yourself when you're doing it. Yes. Yeah. A few conscious breaths. I think like for me, I think my nervous system was quite dysregulated and there's lots of things that have helped, you know, Obviously, breathing practices and yoga are a big part of that. But electrolytes and especially magnesium, I found very helpful. Yeah. Because magnesium is the mineral that relaxes us. 
relaxes yes. our muscles. So that's why sports people use magnesium to relax them tight muscles. But your heart is a muscle, and you know yes. the whole body is is sort of you know affected by that. The diaphragm is a muscle. Yes. So do you take a magnesium supplement or dissolve it? In I the do. Water? I do. Well, I both. I, yeah. I I I love a bath, but I think sometimes you know finding time to to get and soak in a bath can 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 be hard. Another thing I do like to do, and I haven't done it a lot recently, but it's lovely in the winter, is to get a, a bowl of hot water and dissolve your Epsom salts because Epsom salts is magnesium sulfate into the bowl and just put your feet in it and just have the kettle next to you and just keep topping up that hot water and it's it's lovely beautiful I haven't done that since I was a kid I'd say it's so it honestly it's so nice um and the and the magnesium supplements can be hit and miss because like if if you know digestive wise if you are somebody that's um let's say a bit constipated they might do you some good in so much as they tend to get things moving through but you have to be a bit, a bit careful with the sort of laxative effect of magnesium. Mm-hmm. So, so choose carefully. Some forms are less impacting the, um, mm. yeah. So just to flag that up. But we do, we are all apparently nowadays magnesium deficient. Yes, I've heard that as well. Yeah, yeah. You have gorgeous practices for your well-being, for your self-care and looking after yourself. Yeah, but you need that self-compassion, don't you, first and foremost, to, to make yes. yourself do them. You've got to sort of see. And I think, you know, the the information that I've gained in recent years about the nervous system has really made a huge impact on me. And it's a lot of what I talk to my clients about now as well. And this is why I said the, the work of Stephen Porges has really changed things for me because what he talks about is how right from birth we are a nervous system and we're impacted by our environment completely so if you have caregivers that are not sort of seeing to your needs shall we say or maybe they are you know maybe your parents marriage was not a great marriage or there's lots of arguing or there was fighting or there was one parent that was away or like I say it's not about blame because everybody has a story but your nervous system holds on to all of that it's your nervous it's your body that keeps the score that's another amazing book amazing book fantastic so like but your body keeps the score in, in the sense of your nervous system and so actually you know we can do a lot of work in therapy on our thinking and saying, well, I should have done that differently or why didn't I fight back or why didn't I remove myself from that situation? But when you look at it in terms of a nervous system that's doing, trying to feel safe, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all just trying to feel safe. And from a, a very, very early age, that is our priority. I need to make myself safe. So, you know, if I... I have to please this person to get affection from them, then that's what I'll I'll do. And none of that is really conscious. Mm. You know, a lot of our patterns are yeah. not conscious. If I was starving myself because I felt like I had unmet needs and I, I didn't know how to get them met, and I, I found a coping mechanism, it's not a bad thing. That's not something to yeah. be ashamed of. It's actually amazing that 
my body came up with a way to make me feel secure, you know, to make yeah. me feel safe. Um, now, obviously, it made me ill in the end, but it, it, it was trying. I bought oh, me yeah. that, you know. And so I, I think for me, in terms of self-compassion, when I'm working with clients now, it, it always all makes sense. It always all makes sense. Yeah. I totally agree. It's our stories. Exactly. But there's no place for shame and there's no place for blame and guilt. You know, it just, we just have to understand mm. and, and find, you know, if, like I say, if, if a nervous system is dysregulated and the person that you're with, the people closest to you can't regulate your nervous system for you, we have to take that on ourselves and we have to mm -hmm. surround ourselves with the right people. And listen, Steph, I, I mean, you're one of the teachers here in the studio. Mm -hmm. You're one of the people that, that I'm around and coming into contact with. And we think very similarly on this. I don't think I'd last 10 days in, in a, you know, a high-flying business environment. I just, it, that's not for me because the stress of that and the competitiveness and the, that's, not, that's not how I roll. I don't want to be in that environment. We have to know ourselves, don't we? Yeah. And seek out what I call our tribe. <laughs> yes, I love it. And when you say that, Louise, about when we're younger, I think that is incredible how we label ourselves or box ourselves in yeah. to ensure that we're loved, even though it's conditional yeah. and our parents are doing their absolute best, but it's still, we are so wise that we'll figure out, okay, how am I best seen here? Or how am I going to be seen or loved, albeit conditional? Or how can I duck myself under this radar? Like if there's aggression yeah. or anger, yeah. how can I make myself small? So that yeah. I don't, I don't get spotted and picked on. You know, we we do, we learn all these things, and and it doesn't have to be a family that had loads of issues. It's just, you know, you throw, you know, five people into a house together, all with different nervous systems and all with different needs and different experiences. It's hard, you know. You've got to, yeah. but I think that for me in my family of origin, you know, my parents weren't the kind of people that would talk about their feelings. And so myself and my brother, I suppose, didn't question that because that's just, that's how it yes. is. We didn't know there was any different. But when I hit a point in my life where I, I was frightened and I, and I was overwhelmed and I, I didn't feel like I was coping, I didn't know how to talk about it. It, it. it wasn't an option, really, to be open about it because I'd kind of been taught that you brush things under the carpet or you... Oh, totally. You don't complain or you don't moan or you don't be too emotional or you don't, all these things that we and this is what I hear my clients saying. I think that there's a lot of wearing the masks, worrying about what the neighbors think and yeah, putting on the brave face. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so many messages. I, I hear clients saying things like, well, I was really, really clever, but my parents said, don't, don't tell I don't know, your cousins or whatever, what you got in that exam because you'll make them feel bad or don't, you know, keep it to yourself. Or it's just across the board, I think, you know, people trying to hold stuff in and I'm yeah. all about let's bring it out and shine a light yeah. on it and and see that actually it all makes sense and that there's yeah. no blame needed. There's no self-recrimination. I honestly and truthfully, Steph, believe that everybody is trying to do their best in the only way they know how. And until you learn 
different ways. You keep on doing that, don't you? Yeah, I 100% agree. And oftentimes, I mean, you know, I had a client there recently um, and she was saying something about like, you know, if I wasn't so fragile, maybe I would. And I said, you're not fragile. You're the one person in your family that is doing something to create change. You're the person in your family that is here being completely open and transparent with a stranger. And, you know, it's not comfortable. It's not easy to to do that work. And they're my heroes, really, my clients. They are. I have so much admiration for them because they're the ones that are changing the way that the world will be. You know, they're the ones that are confronting things and being honest, really. And have the courage to say, okay, I'm going to do something about this for myself. I want, I want more. I want to, I want to be, you know, I want something different than this. I don't, or I don't want to pass. And, and a lot of times they'll say, I don't want to pass on to my children what I went through. So they're the ones breaking the mold. So I hold these people, my clients up in high esteem. I don't think, you know, oh, you're, you're the one with the problem. Not at all. I think you're the one that's freeing yourself. Yeah. With the courage. And I suppose, and I think that's probably the message that, you know, I, I would really give today is probably about mental health and that message that it's, it's a really brave thing to do to, to, to look at these issues and, and be honest. It's really brave. Um, but I think the interesting thing is, is that yoga, a lot of the people that come to yoga, like it's interesting that you said you wanted to do the splits. I think, <laughs> I think there's so many things that pe- bring people to yoga. Some people are just, in, you know, curious what's this all about other people they just want to get more flexibility a lot of people come because they're anxious and I think a lot of people are looking for community and there's different reasons Mm -hmm. that they come in the door but I think they all get more out of it than they expected you know yeah yes 100% Louise it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you thank you so much it's really it's great to have a platform where we can just you know shine a light on these these things I think and just I mean I honestly I don't have any shame about anything that I've ever been through really I think I've talked about it all so much now that just seems normal but I you know I suppose that's I feel like that's my purpose really is to to sort of help other people to feel it's okay to to be real to role model being honest and being authentic art just shines out of you. <laughs> Thank you. Gorgeous. Thank you so much for joining me today, Louise. Thanks for having me, sir.